Welcome to the Union Jews Podcast. UK's only Things Union show, produced for your downloadable digital delight and appreciation. In this week's episode, Pharmacists Union PDAU meets the challenge of equality, diversity and inclusivity with lessons we can all learn from. Mel Sims' Thought for the Week and Josiah Mortimer's Radical Roundup. Hello, 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 hello. You're very welcome to Union Jews, the UK's only all things union podcast. I'm Simon Sapper and we have a great episode lined up for you this week. Our special guests will be representatives from the Pharmacists Defence Association Union who are doing some really great innovative stuff with members networks aimed at addressing the challenges of how to make the union more inclusive and more diverse some really, really interesting, groundbreaking even, approaches being taken by the Pharmacists Union. We've also got Mel Sims, who in her Thought for the Week will be looking at the insidious habit of collective agreements and working patterns and the way in which work is managed, being changed under the radar, as it were, during the current pandemic and the fact that working at home has suddenly become the norm for as many as 40% of us. Plus, of course, we'll have Josiah Mortimer's radical roundup, all the stories that you may not have seen about unions in the national news media. First up, our regular review of industrial news across the UK. In a moment, we'll have Josiah with his radical roundup. But before that, I wanted to give a special shout out to CW members working in Openreach, particularly, particularly repayment project engineers. Now, this group of members have been told that the places in which they have to work from are going to be reduced from 30 across the country to nine. You don't have to be a mathematical genius to work out that there will be hugely increased journey to work distances and times, hundreds of miles for some of these individuals. There's also a direct challenge and attack on their pay and grading arrangements. And, well, one thing led to another, and there was a statutory ballot for industrial action, 94% turn out 86% vote for strike action what does the company do when the union says we've got this mandate for strike action they say oh are you sure those figures are right are you sure your members really feel that strongly I mean open reach come on come on there is no coffee in the world strong enough for you to wake up and smell if that's going to be your attitude so it's not surprising that Andy Kerr the union's deputy general secretary has described the attitude as belligerent and confrontational and it's not just in this bit of the union's telecoms membership I mean in 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 the BT group of companies things are rapidly going from bad to worse but let's just return to the repayment project engineers big shout out to you And best of luck in trying to find a resolution to this dispute, which I'm pretty sure everyone can see is absolutely not of your making. Over to you, Josiah. Thanks, Simon. First up, less than 5% of NHS staff think the government has handled the pandemic well, a poll for the GMB union has revealed. 
Almost half of staff said they thought the government had handled the pandemic badly and had made the situation worse. The GMB has campaigned throughout the pandemic for NHS workers to have proper PPE, COVID testing and pay justice after a decade of conservative cuts. GMB's national officer, Rachel Harrison, said NHS staff had been badly let down by ministers throughout the crisis. Next. Unite has announced that it suspended strike action at Heathrow Airport to allow the operator to fully consider proposals to end the dispute there. Members of Unite have taken a total of six days of targeted strike action in the dispute over the company's decision to fire and rehire its workforce, forcing them onto vastly inferior contracts. Following talks between Unite and Heathrow last week, where the union put forward proposals to bring the dispute to an end, the next two strikes have been suspended. Next. Unions, women's groups and charities have called on the Equality and Human Rights Commission to urgently investigate whether the government has breached equality law during the pandemic. In a joint letter to the chair of the EHRC, the groups warned that now is a time of crisis for women, with the coronavirus pandemic having a significant and disproportionate impact on women's health, jobs and livelihoods. The joint letter, signed by organisations including the TUC, the Fawcett Society and Women's Aid, accuses ministers of failing their legal responsibilities under the public sector equality duty to ensure their policies do not disadvantage or discriminate against women. They also accuse the government of failing to carry out equality impact assessments on key policy decisions and to take into account the additional caring responsibilities that have been placed on women as a result of health restrictions. Next. Students and trade unions are working together at London's School of African and Oriental Studies to scrap policies they say discriminate against workers and working class students. Student activists are working with Unison to call for better staffing and oppose cuts in insecure contracts, backing the Justice for Workers campaign among many BME workers. The campaigners are calling for fee refunds for students following a year of study being limited during the pandemic. Close to a thousand students have now signed a petition condemning the university's handling of the crisis, asking for serious changes to be made in the university's management. And finally, the UCU has condemned the University of Hull's decision to sack the union's branch president and put other staff at risk of redundancy. Just days after making UCU branch president Keith Butler compulsorily redundant, the university confirmed plans to suspend its modern language provision, putting more staff at risk of losing their jobs. During the first national lockdown, potential redundancies were deferred due to the crisis and the union described the sacking of the branch president as a willful attack on its members, calling for him to be reinstated. That's all from this week's Radical Roundup in the Union Jews podcast. Find the full Radical Roundup on leftfootforward.org. Now it's time for our special guests and I was delighted to welcome four representatives from the Pharmacist Defence Association Union to discuss that union's initiative on equality, diversity and inclusivity. Now, most unions have structures to address the challenges of EDI and the relationship between those structures and union decision-making bodies is, is not always straightforward. It's not always kind of clear. It's not always comfortable. It's, it's one thing to have a network to highlight issues of discrimination, but quite another to do something meaningful about it and, and also the intersectionality that often exists. So the experiences of, of the union, especially given all the circumstances which will become clear in the discussion, are, are really worth spending some time on. And we've got PDA Director Paul Day, EDI Lead Jane Love, Vice Chair of the Women's Network and LGBT Activist Ailey Milken, and BME President Elsie Gomez-Campos. And if you hear 
uh, reference, as you will, in the in the discussion to NAWP, that is N-A-W-P, the National Association of Women Pharmacists. Here they are. I'm delighted to have representatives from the Pharmacists Defence Association Union uh, with us. I'm just going to go round the room, as it were, and ask people to introduce themselves. Paul, let's start with you. I'm, I'm Paul Day. I'm the director of the PDA Union. So I lead the, uh, the Union Centre. Jane? Hi, I'm Jane Love. Um, I'm an organiser at the PDA Union and I also lead on equalities. And Elsie? Hi, my name is Elsie and I am um, a pharmacist. I currently I am working as a primary candidate pharmacist and also I am the president, the first president of the PDA BME network. And Ailey? Well, hi everyone. My name's Ailey. I have two posts at the moment. Um, one as a pharmacist in a psychiatric hospital and the other as a homeless outreach pharmacist where I work with a third sector organisation. So my roles are the honorary secretary of the National Association of Women Pharmacists and I'm part of the LGBT plus network as well. Right. Well, you're all very, very welcome to the podcast and on an auspicious day for the PDA, Paul, isn't it? Of course, with your recognition deal with Lloyd's Pharmacy, which is a great yeah. achievement and one that would normally occupy a lot of the time we have together. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you'll know, Simon, that the, the PDA union's quite a new union, and we've taken our recognition, our, our collective bargaining density now, from zero two years ago to 17% of the profession now. So one in six pharmacists, we're now negotiating their pay. Excellent. That's really good. And it's not just in terms of organising the the industry, as, as it were, that the PDA is is making an impression. It's with your work on members' networks and EDI work. Paul or Jane, could you could you just recap the journey that you've taken? Why the union decided to go down the route of creating member networks and, and the progress you've made to date? Well, let me explain how we how we got to this point. As, as you'll know, trade unions all have equality as the core of what they do. We've always helped members with casework to do with equality. We were always going to build our equality work, but then towards the end of 2019, the National Association of Women Pharmacists, which has been around for 115 years, said they were going to fold because it was unsustainable. So we spoke to them. We helped them relaunch as part of the PDA. The numbers are now much higher. Jane can explain where we've got to. Uh, So they became our, our women's network. And then we waited for the 10th anniversary of the Equality Act and then launched also the LGBT Plus Network, the BAME Pharmacist Network and Ability, which is the network for pharmacists with disabilities. But Jane can perhaps tell us how that happened. Um, I think I'd I'd like to add in a bit about the pandemic, actually. Um, Obviously, NORP became part of the PDA in January last year. And then the additional three networks were launched in April 2020 which um, obviously coincided with you know during lockdown and um, COVID has been impacting disproportionately on minority groups and so I think the launch of the Equalities Networks around this time especially with Black Lives Matter has been a really key moment for for all of the networks Um, and we've seen a huge growth particularly in the uh, the BAME network uh, NORP is, is the largest network. We've got over 800 members and BAME is the second largest network. And we've got growing memberships in the Ability and LGBT plus networks too. 
And we have seen a rise in cases in the legal team as well around discrimination, particularly um, for the BAME and ability groups. So I think this is a really key time for us to come together as a collective and to empower members to to get together and address these issues that have been particularly heightened with, with the pandemic. Yes, I, I can absolutely understand that, that sort of... Co- confluence of the union's policy development and events across across the world and I, I believe you're somewhere north of 1500 members now of, of your members networks yes absolutely so Elsie I mean does what does the network mean to you what I mean first of all what on a day-to-day basis what's your role in it but secondly what does the network enable you to, you to do in the union and for the union that, that perhaps wouldn't be possible without it I mean as Jane clearly explained the network was launched in April 2020, but I was elected. The election, the first election, took place in December, and we just recently, just say uh, last week, we did carry out our first meeting with the whole board, and now we have got a strategy, and the idea is that we will have a forum where our BME members will be able to come and discuss in a safer manner the issues that are affecting them at work. And since that we are looking into, it's just not about discussing the issues that are affecting them, but also how we can educate the, the, the bigger uh, workforce in terms of cultural awareness, in terms of what are the, uh, the issues related to communication, the things like risk assessment, and how, for instance, the uptake of the vaccination vaccine, the COVID vaccine among uh, the BME population. So this is going to be, for me, this is going to be an opportunity, a great opportunity to listen to what our members are saying. Remember that 43% of our workforce identifies as BME. So it's a yeah. huge number of pharmacists. And this network will allow them to have a more focused forum where they can actually raise these concerns through webinars, or podcasts, and things like that. And it will allow them hopefully to gain allies, hopefully to make the wider uh, workforce to understand what are the particular challenges that these members of, of the profession are facing. And Ailey, is, it, is, is, is that the same sort of experience that you've had in both of the networks that you're, you're involved in, even though they, have, they come from kind of different places, don't they? Because the Association of Women Pharmacists, fantastic long history and has mm-hmm. been, been given a new lease of life by, yep. by the time with the PDA, whereas actually LGBTQ plus uh, issues come from a slightly different trajectory in the sense that they mm-hmm. don't have those formal structures in the same way that, say, the AWP is. So how do how do the two different networks compare and contrast in terms of your experience of, of working in them and for them? At the moment, um, as you've said, the NOP network is a lot more established because we have a, an elected committee. So they are different, but I suppose if you look at it in a sort of intersectional approach, like women's issues also can overlap with LGBTQI issues as well. So if, I, if I'm going to speak about them individually, I think for NOP, the majority of pharmacists actually identify as female. I think the percentage is 61% identify as female, whereas within leadership roles, you'll notice my own personal experience, the senior positions are normally occupied by men. So it's been really interesting to be part of a network where, you know, both your personal and professional values overlap for gender equality. And, you know, we're all working together to really try and push women into leadership roles within the profession. Um, And it's, it's not really 
been something that I've ever experienced in pharmacy and it's good to have you know a, a collective group of people who are who've got the same sort of goals going to the LGBTQI plus so we don't have an elected committee as of yet but I know the plan going forward is for elections to take place later in the year again in terms of representation in the pharmacy world there's none for LGBTQI people at, at all so it's great that this is this is starting and you know, we have a WhatsApp group where we can share our experiences as, you know, queer individuals, both personally and professionally, and what we can do to help make it a more, a better, more equal, equal place for patients and professionals. So, yeah, they are different in a sense, and um, they've got their own individual sort of goals and aims. But equally, I like to try and see it as sort of an overlap because all the networks at the end of the day are, are striving for equality. And what, what, stri- what strikes me about this is, is first of all, the very high level of intersectionality that, that we, mm-hmm. we, we have here. Bet- between gender, between race, there will all necessarily be intersectionality between sexuality as, uh, as well. The, uh, the literacy on, on, on ability or disability is, is, is very new and therefore, you know, our understandings of, of, of what's within the parameters of, of, of that network are, are still, still developing. And it's actually filling a vacuum in the industry because, you know, taking on board what, what we've just been talk, talking about, the industry is not doing this for itself. So the union is absolutely at the forefront of not just looking after its members, but changing the shape of, shape of the industry. Which you know makes you step back really for for, for a moment. I wonder, you know, Elsie and Ailey, what if you had to kind of put your finger on on kind of one key objective that you've got from the networks that you're uh, you're active in and, the, and that you're rep- representing for say the next twelve or twenty four months? Does one exist, or is COVID just swamping everything at the uh, at the moment? Absolutely, I think for for our network, uh, the one thing that we actually discussed was about. First of all, is trying to make sure that our members get the courage to speak up and speak out, because it's there is no doubt that there is racial inequality. However, there are many different pressures that stop our members from speaking about the what the experience is about. It's all about, and is the fear of you know of. Uh, not being able to advance advance in the career, fear of if you are a provisional registered pharmacist that you are not perhaps not being signed off from the the course that you are doing. So I think for us the most important thing is to make sure that the members feel safe about speaking openly about what is happening in the workplace, what is their experience, so we can then go out and explain to the employers, this is what we are uh, experiencing and these are the solutions that we bring to you. Uh, because it's not just about, for me, it's not just about the complaining bit of it, but it's about the education of bit of it. So mm-hmm. the work experience uh, be- become more positive. So that is uh, the sort of things that we want to address. Because once that that is... Um, we, we can improve on that. I, I'm sure we can improve in many other uh, many other goals that we have, of course. But it becomes then a virtuous cycle, doesn't it, of people having the confidence to speak, feeling that they're being listened to. That takes it on to the next stage, uh, you know, of, of being able to have a more satisfying working life, which then brings other issues into the into the arena. Ailey, but in terms of the one big thing that you'd hope your networks could achieve in the in say the year. A year's time, or whatever, is there is there that clarity, or is it just a, a battle for survival day to day? 
So we've got loads different aims, but I think with with NOP, we are really striving to try and elevate like women into more leadership, women pharmacists into more leadership mm. positions, as, as mentioned, and to provide sort of mentorship and the confidence for people to do that. Ultimately, as well as raising awareness of different women's health issues that maybe there isn't as much information about elsewhere, LGBT plus wise, again, it's equally like what Elsie had said, it's about giving people the confidence to speak out about discrimination in the workplace and to feel comfortable within themselves so they can ultimately provide better patient care at the end of the day. Mm. But yeah, challenging, having the confidence to challenge, realising what actually is discrimination and that, you know, casual comments are actually quite triggering for people and having the, you know, knowing that there's networks and and people available to, to seek advice from if they feel they have been discriminated against. So yeah, I think they're, they're, both again overlapping aims for both networks um yeah. yeah and of course i mean the thing about having an objective of say uh securing more people of a, of a wider demographic into leadership positions is you can measure it i think what, one of the things that, that interests interests me greatly about members networks equality networks and and you, we've touched on it already in our, our conversation is it's 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 one thing to kind of raise awareness. It's another thing to then make progress to dismantle barriers, dismantle discrimination and improve inclusivity. So what's the kind of relationship like between the union at the centre and in the members' networks? I was really interested to see, you know, I was doing a bit of reading around, as you'd expect, and, and I understand that actually non-members can join the networks and that you, you actually pay a, a nominal fee to, to join the networks. And as a strategy for developing them, that, that's, I think that's really, really interesting. So, I mean, I suppose this question for, for you, Paul or, or, or Jane, what, what, what's your view about how the, how the bits of the union fit together? And then I'd be really interested to hear from Elsie and, and Ailey about whether or not they have the same, the same view as, as the two of you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a case where the union structure doesn't, naturally match the issue because as a union we for example won't have employers so if you're an independent pharmacist running your own pharmacy we wouldn't have you in membership because you're an employer but of course if you happen to be a BAME independent pharmacist running your own pharmacy you're just as susceptible to discrimination based on race so we said, well, look, we, we don't want to subdivide on the topic. This is about unity and collective action by people uh, or, or all concerned about discrimination. So actually, let's open it up to non-members. Clearly, they can't then get involved in the rest of the union's activity, but they can get involved in the, in the equality networks. I mean, we touched on earlier on the LGBT newsletter that we sent was very striking that the feedback we got was nothing in the history of pharmacy has addressed LGBT rights like that ever. So there was a huge, it's not a gap in the market, we're not trying to run a commercial organisation, there was a huge gap, an issue that needs attention and so we've stepped in, whether they're union members or not, we want to address the equality issue. And, and Jane, what was, the, what was the thinking behind structuring the members networks in the in the way you have particularly the kind of admission fee if you like that that seems to be part of the package at the moment so we have a discount for pda members for them it's just 10 pound to join for the year whereas if they're not a member of the pda then obviously it's it's more and and obviously we want to encourage membership of the pda alongside uh, the equalities networks i believe that the majority of 
the members across the networks are also PDA members. And I think in cases where they are not, it's usually because the main role that they're doing is perhaps not as a, a, a pharmacist in a, in a pharmacy setting, but often, for example, people teaching. So maybe within schools of pharmacy, within universities, where maybe another union covers their, their job role more effectively, but they they wish to join an equalities network that is specific to pharmacy because they are then teaching students who will be working in that environment. But I think that's, you know, that's where the kind of link is there with membership and the equalities issues for some of the non-PDA members, if, if that helps to clarify. No, a little. no it does. But of course, I'm, I'm just curious that, that as the networks develop, if, if the networks get to a point of exercising policymaking functions within the union, then you you have a, a possibility of non-members influencing the policy of a membership-based organisation. But from what you're saying, it sounds like, actually, first of all, the advantages outweigh the disadvantages at the moment of making sure you've got the broadest possible reach for uh, for the members' networks. And also the numbers of non-members are pretty small and are likely to stay that, to stay that way. We, we were actually kind of um, influenced, of course, by the fact because we helped NORP relaunch itself they were already open to non-union members so we said oh we'll help you relaunch and we said well hang on do we want to close people out we said actually want to include people and then once we'd done it for NORP we said well actually whichever way you go there's challenges so let's go on an inclusive way and then we'll deal with whatever challenges come up so from the point of view of of the members networks do you feel you have adequate opportunity to feed in to union policymaking. If you come to a view within the members' networks, what's the route that that view takes to weave its way through the union's decision-making making process? I, do you mean in terms of initiatives as well, of sort of ideas that mem- network members are coming up with? From my experience, Jade has been the person who has, has orchestrated any ideas. For example, with the LGBT plus network, we're in the process of pushing forward uh, pronoun badges to be made for pharmacists to be wearing uh, to show sort of solidarity for transgender and gender non-conforming patients and professionals. And so people know their pronouns as well. That was an idea that was brought up in our WhatsApp group and is now getting pushed forward thanks to you know Jane getting involved and and Colette as well. She's part of the the WhatsApp group. Notwise as well, like we've decided between and our committee what we think like ideas that could be done and again that's a lot of it's been orchestrated through Jane so from my experience Jane would be my first port of call yeah and then I'm assuming from there it gets filtered through the different sort of logistical pathways to actually get done if but that what, your question yeah well it does I mean what strikes me is especially, especially like the pronoun badges something yeah. so so simple but yeah, has yeah, such exactly. can have such an impact and actually you know it just it, it's just no one's kind of thought of it before perhaps because there are not people who are so directly involved in it before. Elsie, what's, what's been your kind of experience of your network, being a network, coming up with an idea or a plan or a thought or, or, or whatever, and then getting that into the union's policymaking procedures? It's very similar. We run the risk that after, you know, they, this all of a Black Lives Matters, there was a lot of talking about it back in the summer and if you look at it things have you know slowed down but through our newsletter through our having a having the network we can continue putting pressure and putting this uh, spotlight on that particular uh, the, the particular issues of race inequality so we will have our meetings we will contact our members and then we'll fit up uh, what are the main issues that are affecting us and are affecting the members and 
uh, hopefully not just allowing a changing a, a influencing policy making within the PDA, but also even outside the PDA as well. Any we will be able to push for changes and better better recognition of the issues that are affecting all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Because of course, you know, the, the pharmacists are plugged into all sorts of other networks. If you just think about the occupational backgrounds of, of, of the two of you, Elsie and Ailey, you know, it, you know, the, straight away that you can see all the different connectivities and the issues that affect pharmacists they're going to be shared aren't they across across the allied and related related professions so there's a you know there's there's a huge a huge potential impact and i, I just wondered how how has what's happened over the 18 months in terms of the development of of member networks how do you think it's impacted upon the way in which the union is viewed both by both by members and by potential members I mean, I can say that you, you can see the numbers. You can see the numbers yeah. of members, for instance. For the BME uh, network, we have, of course, 700 plus wow. members because people recognize that this is the way of going forward. People recognize that having a group that looks like you, that sympathize with your um, issues, is, uh, is the only way that we are going to make change happen. Prior to this, we just talked in a, you know, in a wide, in a bigger group, and your voice perhaps was not properly listened to or was not given the actual uh, importance that it had. Now having this a smaller group, a more focused group, uh, allow us to be heard. I am also a member of the women's group. And so this uh, this is the sort of thing that I think uh, is, is the only way forward, and that's why you see so many members joining us now. Yeah. Excellent. I'd echo exactly what Elsie said, and especially in terms of like the LGBT community within pharmacy, as has been mentioned already, it's it's the first of its type in pharmacy ever, and it, the issues don't just disappear because you're a pharmacist. Like if anything, they should be getting called out within one of the largest allied health professions you know out there um and you know going back to non-pda members joining i know within my workplace i have a new pharmacist who started who identifies as a, as a lesbian and she's she wasn't aware that there are any networks like this out there and her reservation of joining joining was because she isn't a member of the pda so having that opportunity to still be part of something which represents you without having to necessarily, you know, get your indemnity cover and the other union benefits through that, I think is unique and fantastic because it doesn't stop people from joining. So, yeah, I think, you know, as we said, pharmacy is a huge profession and there is a lot of different people, sexuality, races, genders, all ethnic, everything within it. So it's great that there's now opportunities to be represented and push forward for equality because it's it's not equal at the moment. The, the PDA is an organisation that exists to make the world better for pharmacists and their patients. We, we don't exist to make the union bigger. We make the union bigger to help the pharmacists. And, and so for us, it's about the difference it makes to pharmacists. And, you know, with four networks, they're going to do three newsletters uh, a year each which means that over the course of the year, every month we're issuing an equality newsletter. And we're in the early cycle. And because the Women's Network and the BAME Network grew quickest, they've had their elections. We've got two presidents in place. 
the other two networks will have elections this year and then we'll have two year terms of offices and a cycle that every year there'll be equality elections. And indeed, once we've got all four presidents, we'll pull those presidents together to have an equality council to oversee the intersectionality as well. So, Jane, it must be an organiser's dream in some ways. Um, it's been very exciting, actually. And I think a, a point I'd like to make is so that before I started working with the PDA, I was working for an education union. And for me, it's been very interesting to look at the different sectors, because within education, it's kind of it's, it's more sort of normalised to talk around equalities issues you know, because obviously it's embedded within within the national curriculum and so on. But within the pharmacy sector, there's been a lot of criticism around kind of early training for for students, pharmacy students, and obviously that's impacting on their patients as well. And so there's that's something that the PDA have been have been lobbying around. And so it's I think the visibility within the pharmacy sector is much smaller than in other sectors. So for me, I think coming from that you know from the education union background first, and then coming to pharmacy. Um, has been very exciting for me it's it's really important to um, empower members to improve their working lives and I think particularly around equalities um, has been really exciting and members across all the networks have been saying to me for so long there's been too much talk about issues but nothing actually happening and I think members across all the networks are very excited that that things are now actually taking shape and that change is actually happening and even in the networks where we don't yet, yet have committees so the ability in LGBT plus there's still that's that chance for member voice. So the newsletters that Paul referred to, the, the articles in those newsletters are written by the majority, you know, in the main by members. So it means that their voices can be heard. And then obviously once the committees are in place as well, it means that they can become more self-organising. And, and picking up on Ailey's point about the uh, women in leadership as well. So I don't know if she wanted to say a bit more about what NORP have got planned related to that theme in March. In March, it's International Women's Day, so we organised and planned an event on the 13th of March where the theme is women. The title just got decided today, so you have to excuse me if I get it mixed up. <laughs> uh, women women leading in pharmacy. So it's going to be a, a chat-style show sort of um, idea where there's going to be four speakers, all from different backgrounds, one of which actually includes myself. <laughs> and we're opening it up um, to pre-registration pharmacists and not members to come forward and ask questions right. and ask for advice about how you get to sort of the position that you're in at the moment. So it's great. We've got a really good lineup and each if each woman comes from a very different background. So it would be good to sort of, you know, aspiring pharmacists as well as not members realise the, the sort of potential career paths that are out there and hopefully empower them to feel confident to go down whatever route they choose to do so. So that's March. We've got that planned in March. Um, and I think another newsletter is coming out in May as well. So we've got a lot of good ideas going forward. I tell you, the energy that's coming out of this call is just is is fantastic. You know, lots of lots of nodding heads to to your last comment, Jane, <laughs> about about the influencing the influencing part. It's great. I mean, it's great. It's, it's been it's really energising and encouraging to to spend time with, with people like yourselves. We are nearly out of time. So are there are there any final thoughts any of you would like to leave our listeners with? I'd say I try to preach this in my personal life and I suppose I should do my professional as well. Don't be scared to call out discrimination um, towards yourself, patients. Um, you don't have to be a member of a community in order to call out. Allies can do it as well. Know what is discrimination. And, you know, there are, um, especially now within the pharmacy sector, there are networks out there who can support you. I think these are exciting times and uh, we have been given a huge opportunity to develop ourselves, for us to be ourselves, for us to have the courage to bring our, uh, you know, our un unique, uh, different characteristics 
and be genuine and being caring as well. I think once that you find that people can bring themselves, they don't have to hide who they are, their identity, they patients at the end are the ones that are going to benefit. So uh, I am looking forward to growing the network. I am looking forward to everything that we will be able to do through this platform that we never had it before. And having the support of the PDA will allow us to make the changes that are required because we are just tired of so much talking. I think people just want actual changes, things that they can see, that they can touch, that they can see, you know, we are changing, you know, two years, uh, three years. My hope is that particularly the new pharmacies that are coming in, they won't have a, a future that will look an equal, that, you know, they will have being able to achieve the potential regardless of the race, regardless of the gender, regardless of the whether they are able, any any disability. Or, so yeah, I, I am very excited about the future. I, th- I think it's a it's a great opportunity to impact on society as a whole. Is I mean this you know we've been talking about how groundbreaking this is within f- the pharmacy sector, but actually if you think about all th- all the people that pharmacists come into contact with every day, this could make a massive impact. You know wider than just than just pharmacy. I believe you know, maybe that sounds very optimistic, but <laughs> that that's my hope that it will have a ripple effect integrate in, you know, into the wider society. And I look forward to seeing um, how the networks develop and and. To continuing to um, support members in in achieving their their goals. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, if, if if we lived in a world without labels and stereotypes, we'd just treat people as people. And I think we're trying to create that world for pharmacists that they just you know treat people as people, and that's that's what we're trying to do by uh, addressing those uh, those challenges that our members have got. I think we're shining a light on on challenges that haven't been. Perhaps they've been talked about a little, but haven't really been a- addressed. And, you know, we're, you know, we're the PDA. We, we do things and we're lucky to have great people on our networks already. And the, the, the two growing networks as well. You know, there's some great talented people there that I'm sure are going to take us forward. Hayley, Elsie, Jane, Paul, thank you very much for, for a fascinating, stimulating discussion. And, and I wish you and the networks every success in the future, not just for yourselves, not just for pharmacy, but for the rest of us as well. <laughs> but thank you all very much. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, right. Well, my sincere thanks to, to Paul and to Jane, to Ailey and to Elsie. It was a really, really interesting, energetic uh, discussion. But, but you know, there are some things that I think come out of there that are worth spending a little time on, dwelling on uh, a little bit. I mean, this model uh, uh, of, of members' networks is unlike any model I've seen before. So, there are kind of three or four facets that are particularly stand out. First, you can be a member of the network, but not of the PDA. Well, I think we dealt with that in the discussion and you can understand why the union has opted for inclusivity rather than purity, if you like, of, of, of policy making. If those networks get to the stage of making formal policy for, for the union. And of course, with the, the precedent of the National Association of Women's Pharmacists, NORP, you can see why the, the trajectory was set in that. Second, you pay to join, which is really bizarre. Most, I mean, I, I've not come across any other union where you have a, like an equality network and you, you pay extra to join it. Okay, only a tenner, which is a kind of nominal sum of money, uh, and thirty pounds for, for for non-members. But then it does, you know, just give does give a dedicated pot of money through which Alien the LGBT uh, community can do their their name tag initiative, for for example. And then the third, the real possibility of 
this setting the pace, not just in the union, not just in the sector, but in wider society as a whole. That's a very exciting possibility. But there is there is a fourth thing that I think didn't really come through. And that is, unless you have someone on the inside of the union's bureaucracy who understands, who gets it, who's accessible, who's responsive, who's effective, who can be a cheerleader, it's really, really difficult. And if you do have that person on the inside of the union's bureaucracy, they need the backing of the general secretary or other senior figures in the union. I think that's the that's the truth. Or maybe not. Have you got your own experiences of equality networks? Have you done things particularly in your workplace, in your union, at regional, branch, national level, that contradict the direction that the PDA is travelling in, that augment it, that would represent best practice, that have been transformational? Let us know. You can email us at unionjews at makesyouthink.com. You can tweet us at jewsunion. We'd really love to hear your examples, your contributions to the debate. Don't keep it to yourself. Let us know what's been going on. Now it's time for Thought for the Week with the Professor for Work and Employment from the University of Glasgow, Melanie Sims. This week, Mel is taking a look at some of the unintended consequences of so much homeworking during the pandemic. This week, I've been mainly thinking about employer monitoring of staff working at home, uh, which has been a growing area of tension during the pandemic as organisations that have either not previously facilitated working from home have changed their working practices um, or where those of us who did have some flexibility to work from home are now compelled to. Um, and when I teach students about the employment relationship, I always start by highlighting the tension that employers face between, on the one hand, building trust and on the other, seeking control. Um, and I always emphasise that the employment relationship is all about navigating those implicit and explicit deals over time. But since the start of the pandemic, many aspects of those deals have changed. And one area I think is really important to attend to is that around a third of us are working from home all or most of the time. And as I see it, there are two problems with where we are right now. The first is the speed with which change had to happen. And the second is that our homes are now our workplaces. And as a result, employer surveillance and control has followed us into our home spaces without any time to negotiate where the boundaries are, what is and isn't legitimate. Now, not everything has been bad. I don't want that to be the headline from this reflection. Some workers have definitely benefited from a flexibility that they never previously experienced. But even for those of us who have enjoyed some aspects um, of new work regimes, there has been little opportunity to negotiate what these new deals look like. And that's raised some really big questions, including is it reasonable for your employer to monitor your computer use while you're at home? What if that includes video surveillance? What, how about if you're working on a personal computer and maybe Wi-Fi that you've had to pay for? What if you use work equipment to make a Zoom call to a friend in the evening? Can they monitor that? These are really big questions. And the general approach in UK work regulation is to assume that if someone consents um, and it's happened over time, then it has become established practice. And that's generally assumed to be legitimate. But from my perspective, it's really important that HR managers and unions don't assume that deals that were tolerated in the stress of the early stages of the pandemic are necessarily going to be accepted in the longer term. Working from home is likely to be a real point of new tensions and stresses in many organisations and is going to need to be really explicitly agreed and ideally negotiated as those new work patterns are embedded. 
My thanks to Mel for a really thoughtful and thought-provoking piece. It's it's a scary issue, a scary issue. And as well as the stuff that Mel herself has been researching and writing on, you might like to take a look at the website that's hosted by a former guest on this show, Christina Colclough. Uh, her website is the Why Not Lab. That's the Why Not Lab, all lowercase, all one word, dot com. Uh, tremendous uh, library and resource in terms of papers, discussion documents, arguments about data, about our data, how it's mined, how it's stored, how it's exploited, how it's traded, how we need a campaign for the right to disconnect. All very interesting and worthwhile stuff. And I'm sure it's an issue that we will return to. Well, that's just about it for this episode. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time with us. I hope it's made you think. I hope it's given you some food for thought. If you like what you hear, if you want to hear more of certain things, less of others, then please do feel free to get in touch with us. You can email the show at unionjews at makesyouthink.com. You can tweet us at Jews Union. And don't forget that a companion blog post with links, signposting, lots of background information, all the extra material you could need is available at the makesyouthink.com website right now. Could you please, if you get the opportunity, rate us on the podcasting platform of your choice? It really would be hugely appreciated. Before going, I want to give my customary shout out to my colleagues in the Labour Radio Podcast Network. This is a portal through which you can access around 70 trade union related podcasts, an absolute goldmine and very entertaining very encouraging to hear all the different things that are going on uh, across different union sectors in different countries. You can access that at labourradionetwork.org. It just leaves me to thank our guests, Paul, Jane, Elsie and Ailey, to thank Mel and Josiah for their fantastic contributions as ever, and to thank you for listening. Whatever you're doing, do stay safe. There is light at the end of the tunnel, I'm sure. And until next time, I'll see you around. Bye for now. The Union Dues podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper. It is a Makes You Think production.